We come now to Secret Agent 002, a troubled tribune. A troubled tribune. Verse 23. And he, this is the tribune, called to him two of the centurions and said, Get two hundred soldiers ready by the third hour of the night to proceed to Caesarea with seventy horsemen and two hundred spearmen. They were also to provide mounts to put Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the cat, the, the governor. Sorry. <laughs> this is amazing. Question, is this natural or is this supernatural? Yes. 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 It is absolutely both. Think about this. 200 Marines, 70 Cavaliers, 200 Spear Chuckers, and Paul. 470 men to safely see Paul out of Jerusalem. Who gets that kind of an entourage these days? I mean, come on. It's remarkable. Verse 25 and he wrote a letter having this form. So this is now Claudius Lysias, the commander that's been dealing with Paul all along here. Claudius Lysias, says the letter, verse 26, to the most excellent governor, Felix, greetings. When this man was arrested by the Jews and was about to be slain by them, I came up to them with the troops and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. That's not exactly what happened. But okay, we get it. You're covering your backside there. And wanting to ascertain the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. Well, we're missing verse 27 and a half when he was about to have him scourged to find out what was going on, having bound him in chains illegally, but we'll let that one slide too. Verse 29, And I found him to be accused over questions about their law, but under no accusation deserving death or imprisonment. When I was informed that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, also instructing his accusers to bring charges against him before you. So the soldiers, in accordance with their orders, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. Antipatris. Now again, based on the letter, which represents a slightly skewed view of what actually happened, we know Claudius Lysias was both covering his own Roman backside and making sure Paul got safely to the next level, to the governor of Judea, who at that time was a man by the name of Felix. More on him in a moment. But God used this. God used the natural, though... Remarkably so, to get Paul safely out of Jerusalem. They would go out of Jerusalem by night the next morning when the 40 guys starving themselves overnight, getting ready to kill Paul, find out that he's gone. I don't know if at that point they they went ahead and claimed the provision of Mishnah or, or what. But God used it. And he sends first, they go up to Antipatris. This is the only mention of Antipatris in the scriptures. I've been there. It's, it's a location that's about 20 miles from Jerusalem. Another 20 miles from Antipatris up to and over to Caesarea. Antipatris is in central Israel. It's at the headwaters of the Yarkon River in the Sharon Valley. It's actually a beautiful location. There are ruins that mark the spot. There was a, uh, a praetorium there. Herod had built the city there. And they held Paul in that praetorium. 
Today it's on the outskirts of a beautiful city. In fact, the city is called Patak Tikva. The opening of hope. And there's that word hope again. Chatikva, the hope. Patak Tikva, the opening of hope. The hope of Israel is still there, gang. The hope is still there. By the way, Patak Tikva has a a population of 225,000 people just in that city alone. But for Paul, it was just an overnight stop along the way there at Antipatris. Verse 32, But the next day, leaving the horsemen to go on with him, they returned to the barracks. So now 400 go back to Jerusalem and 70 travel on with Paul. 70 is still outrageous. But they got to get him there safely. When these had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when he had read it, he asked from what province he was. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia... He said, I will give you a hearing after your accusers arrive also, giving orders for him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. Felix. Felix was a nefarious dude. He was the only Roman governor, at least up to that point, that we know of who was once a slave. You see, Felix had a brother named Paulus, P-A-L-L-U-S, Paulus. And Paulus became... Real close friends with one Caesar Nero. Caesar Nero, by the request of Paulus, freed Felix and said, I'll give him a governorship. He can go down to Judea. None of the Romans wanted to be in Judea. Caesarea Maritima there in Judea was okay because it was a beautiful seaside location, but none of them really wanted to be in Judea. However, Felix is now there. He's free, but he is governing this place this hotbed of of nationalism among the Jews. What's interesting about Felix, he was was incredibly, well, he was known to be incredibly lustful, violent and cruel, mean-spirited, nasty, uncaring. And Felix was called out by the Roman historian Tacitus Tacitus said this about Felix. He exercised the prerogatives of a king with the spirit of a slave. So that's not a good combination. All the power of a ruler, but the bitterness of a slave, of a prisoner. He had the mentality of one who had been abused. He himself then was cruel and wicked and self-serving and abusive. Chapter 24, verse 1, after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders. Remember, because you always come down from Jerusalem. With an attorney named Tertullus. It's Tertullus, but I like Tertullus. It was a slow journey. And they brought charges to the governor against Paul. And after Paul had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying to the governor, you guys are going to love this, since we have through you attained much peace, and since we by your providence reforms are being carried out for this nation, we acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. But that I may not weary you any further, I beg you to grant us by your kindness a brief hearing. What a schmoozer. (laughs) Tertullus was actually a famous, articulate, bootlicking lawyer. 
there in the first century. And no doubt he believed that flattery will get you somewhere. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Scripture says in Romans 16-17, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, kind of like Felix, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Paul would say, beware the flatterers. Someone comes heaping flattery. Careful. They may have an agenda. You know, show me a true worshiper of Jesus Christ and I will show you a humble and honest person. Someone who emulates Jesus, who elevates Jesus, who talks about Jesus, who looks to Jesus and who is not impressed by man. That's someone who I can trust. Speaking of Jesus, this is the only time, as we'll see here, that the phrase Nazarenes is used in the New Testament. It's intended as a snide remark, kind of like Christian was in Antioch, so Nazarene is used here. Verse (laughs) 5, For we have found this man a real pest. And a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Paul's a pest and a ringleader and a Nazarene. I mean, he's just throwing one slight after another here at Paul. And he even tried to desecrate the temple, says Tertullus. And then we arrested him. We want you to judge him according to our own law. But Lysias, the commander, came along and with much violence took him out of our hands and ordered his accusers to come before you by examining him yourself concerning all these matters. You will be able to ascertain the things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also joined in the attack, asserting that these things were so. Now, if you compare the story of Tertullus to what actually happened in Acts 21, you will see very clearly that the lawyer is a liar. Completely twisting what took place. And Paul calls him out on it and deftly Paul takes up his own defense. Verse 10, when the governor had nodded for him to speak, Paul responded, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation, (laughs) I cheerfully make my own defense. That's all he'll say to Felix. I love it. Paul doesn't call him most excellent and doesn't lay down all this, you know, stuff. He just says, knowing that you have, you know, it's, It's actually wise when you don't really have anything good to say about someone, you can always find something. You know, Paul figures it out. Knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation. Well, he had been. There's nothing good or bad about what was just said. You know, it's it's like... It's like when a friend comes up to you at church on a Sunday morning in a new outfit and says, Hey, what do you think? I've learned to say, hey, that's something else. (laughs) 
Knowing that for many years you have been a judge to this nation, I cheerfully make my defense, since you can take note of the fact that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. That's all the time that's gone by. Not even two weeks. Neither in the temple nor in the synagogues, nor in the city itself did they find me carrying on a discussion with anyone or causing a riot. Nor can they prove to you the charges of which they now accuse me. This I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and what is written in the prophets, having a hope in God which these men cherish themselves, that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Hope in the resurrection. But note this, Paul mentions two resurrections, doesn't he? There's a resurrection of the righteous and a resurrection of the wicked. There are those even in the church today who don't understand that, who teach there's just one. It's all just going to happen at once. It's not two resurrections. There's one resurrection. Everybody's going to go and be done and there's judgment day for everybody all at once and we kind of go and then we go float in the clouds. Such is the understanding of what God has revealed to us in the book of Revelation which is far more specific than that. But there are two resurrections. There is a resurrection for the righteous. It's called the first resurrection. And there is a resurrection of judgment for the wicked. It is called the second resurrection. You don't want to be part of the second resurrection. You want to be part of the first. The first resurrection was started by Jesus, the first fruits, who was the first one to be resurrected and never to die. And following Jesus, all those captivity captive who he would lead up, but they themselves, their, their bodies will be resurrected at the rapture of the church. All those who have died in faith in Jesus, part of the first resurrection... I don't have time to go into it tonight, but Revelation chapter 20, learn it, know it, live it. Two resurrections, verse 16. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience before both God and before men. Now after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present Offerings. Remember why Paul came up? He gathered all the collections of money from all the churches throughout Asia and Europe. Came back to Jerusalem to present alms. Gave the money to the church that might be presented to the poor and those in need and those who who had a difficult time, especially during these days of famine that were taking place in Judea at the time. In which they found me occupied in the temple. That is, he's bringing alms and he's presenting offerings. They found me occupied in the temple, having been purified without any crowd or uproar, but some Jews from Asia. Who, verse 19, Paul says, ought to have been present before you and to make accusation if they should have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves tell what misdeed they found when I stood before the council, the Sanhedrin, other than for this one statement which I shouted out while standing among them, for the resurrection of the dead, I am on trial before you today. Where are the accusers from Asia? There were none. 
The ones who stirred up the crowd in the first place, they weren't there. Where is the proof of these charges, Paul says? There were none. And Paul invites the accusers to come forward. Give it your best shot. Present your evidence. Go ahead. There is none. Paul, who said back at the beginning of our study tonight that he lived his life with a perfectly good conscience, knew exactly what he was talking about. There's no evidence against me. This is all trumped up charges. Prayerfully, this nation won't be trumped up. But there weren't any present. None of his accusers were there. You know what's interesting? James wasn't there either. None of the elders from Jerusalem came down for Paul's trial. Where are the brethren? Where are the supporters? Where are Paul's witnesses? Remember, it was the advice of James and the elders of the Jerusalem church that caused Paul to be in the temple paying for the offerings and the purification of his fellow Messianic Jews. It was because they told him to do it, that he was doing that, trying to show, to explain, to express that he still had deep respect for Jewish faith, still considered himself to be Jewish. They said, go do this. Where are they? Why haven't they shown up? How about the four men whose haircuts he paid for? (laughs) Whose purification Paul funded? Where are the Christians? It was a 40 mile journey, as I said, and an 80 plus year old high priest and his slow moving lawyer made the journey. And the church couldn't send one representative. Now, I don't know what was going on. You know, maybe it was Missions Day. Maybe there was some important program that was happening. I don't know. And to be fair to James and the Jerusalem elders, there may have been extenuating, thank you Ben, circumstances. I don't know. But Paul's alone in this. And sometimes, even in the church, we can feel abandoned. Have you? Ever felt kind of alone in your situation? I have. Sometimes while surrounded by brothers and sisters, and people don't intend it, but life and busyness and responsibilities and sometimes even fear. Perhaps it was fear that kept the Christians in the Jerusalem church back. Whatever the case, these things can diminish relationships. My encouragement to you is the encouragement that I've received from the Lord over the years is don't take it out on your brothers and sisters when they don't show up. Don't be upset with them. You don't know why. You don't know what's truly going on. You don't know how hard perhaps they're praying for you and that may also have been going on at this time, a prayer vigil at the Jerusalem church. We just don't know. Don't make assumptions or judgments when your brothers and sisters are a no-show. Just look to Jesus. Remember what we said on Sunday. Look at the head, not the body. Look at the head first, and then look to the body. 
see the body the way the head sees the body. Christ, the head, the body, the church. Because relationship is always a high priority with Jesus. And He is there. And He will be there for you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So look to Him. Verse 22. But Felix... Having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the commander comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion for him to be kept in custody and yet have some freedom, and not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. Now that's interesting too. Felix knew something about Christianity. He had a more exact knowledge than what was being presented to him by Turtleface and and the high priest. He had a more exact knowledge. Where, Where did he get this knowledge from? Well, what's interesting is some ancient sources point to a friendship between Felix and a man that you may be familiar with We read about him back in Acts chapter 8, a guy by the name of Simon the Sorcerer. Simon the Sorcerer and Felix were apparently best buds. Simon the Sorcerer, they called him the great power of God until Philip showed up and stuff really started to happen. And then people are getting saved right and left, believing in Jesus, getting baptized. The, the Samaritans were, were excited and the church sends down uh, Peter and, and they all begin then to... to Pray for them and they're receiving the Holy Spirit and, the, and the, it's amazing, right? And Simon the sorcerer, who was once called the great power of God, now seems to have been converted. He believes. He gets baptized. He starts following Peter around. And then he makes his play. Hey, how much do you charge for this Holy Spirit thing? How can I get in on the action here? I got money. I can pay you for it. Acts chapter 8 verse 20, Peter said to Simon the sorcerer, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this word, for your heart is not right before God. And the way that story ended, the last we heard of Simon the sorcerer, was Peter told him to pray for forgiveness. And do you remember what Simon said? He said, pray for me yourselves. No, I don't know if he said it with that inflection or if he said, oh, pray for me yourselves, you know, because he thought maybe their prayers would be more powerful. I kind of tend to lean toward the former. Pray for me yourselves. We never hear of Simon again. But history places him in a relationship, a friendship with Felix. They were buds. So Felix had a... uh, more full knowledge of this Christianity, perhaps from Simon. By the way, the order given was not to prevent any of his friends, Paul's friends, from ministering to him. So how many of Paul's friends came to see him? He has visitation rights. The only one I can think of is what I'll call secret agent number 003. The third and final secret agent, loyal Dr. Luke. And the only reason we know that Luke was there with Paul is Luke is writing the account. In the first person, he's there. He's watching. He's witnessing. So he's there with Paul. Luke, however, records no others. 
with Paul. Now, I, I could guess maybe Philip and his daughters came on some visits. I mean, they lived in Caesarea Maritima, so perhaps. Maybe Agabus came down from Jerusalem, the prophet. He knew Paul. But we don't have any record of any visits for the entirety of two years that Paul is held at Caesarea Maritima. He's there two years. And we don't have any record of anybody visiting him. We know that Luke is there. This wouldn't be the only time that Paul experienced loneliness in his apostolic calling. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, he wrote to Timothy, he said, Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Titus, by the way, went to Dalmatia for 101 reasons. <laughs> Only Luke is with me. Note that. That is a, that's a powerful statement. Only Luke is with me. Luke stepped close to Paul. Luke was a loyal friend. Luke looked out for Paul, and as we've talked about before, the Gospel according to Luke and the Acts as written by Luke This two-part treatise was very likely a defense brief for Paul to use in Rome. And Luke would write this. So Luke was there. Paul also wrote to Timothy after saying, Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for service. And it's been said that one of the loneliest places in the church is behind the pulpit. I haven't found that to be the case. Thank you. <laughs> I, I really haven't. Um, but I find it interesting that in all creation there was only one thing that God said was not good. Right? It was that the man should not be alone. It's not good that the man is alone. Loneliness is not a good thing. Loneliness is not God's intention for you. Not, not His intention for me. I'm so thankful. Let me just say this to you all honestly. I'm so thankful to you. I'm so thankful for our fellowship. I'm thankful for the close friends that I have here. I'm thankful for the brotherhood and the sisterhood. And and that none of you sisters are traveling anywhere. As in traveling pants. I was trying to make a joke. That didn't land. I'm just thankful for a relationship here. And I value it highly. And, and I want to encourage you all in this that we continue to pursue relationships with each other. And if you feel lonely, the first person to start working on that is you. Because I can testify, this is a loving group of people. If you're feeling alone, then let somebody know. Because sometimes, again, busyness, responsibilities, stuff going on in our lives, we don't realize it. I got a text... Yesterday morning, oh, it was so cool. No, Monday morning, it was Monday morning, uh, from Jeff D'Angelo. Jeff is one of my longtime closest friends. And uh, typically, Jeff and I will get together for coffee once a week or so. And, and it, it's been, I don't know, two or three months. I mean, we both have just been really busy. I got this text yesterday morning. Didn't say anything else. He just said, we're probably long overdue. <laughs> and it just warmed my heart. 
I texted him back, you know, affectionately, yup. <laughs> I so appreciate fellowship and relationship. But even, gang, even where there's not, don't forget how close Jesus is. How much He desires to be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13.5 I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I am right here. I am as close as your awareness. As close as you turning around. I am right here. It is not good for man to be alone. And God has provided that He and the Son would take up residency in our hearts. That we would never have to be lonely. He is such a good God. So recognize that. He's given us each other. Take advantage of each other, please. Call each other up. Call me up. People are like, well, you're so busy. Not if you call me. You want to have coffee on me? I'd love to meet for coffee. I love coffee. If you're buying, I love it even more. Relationship together. And relationship with Jesus. Pursue both. Love of the brethren, love of the Lord Jesus. Well, the end of the chapter, some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla. Drusilla. Wow. She was a real treat. His wife was a Jewess. And sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. But as he was discussing... Righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, go away for the present and when I find time, I, I will summon you. At the same time too, he was hoping that money would be given him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for him quite often and converse with him. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. So we will have a festivus for the rest of us. And wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. Now in these closing verses of of this chapter, there's so much here, I I have to unfortunately save it for another study. Um, Very interesting background of Felix and Drusilla and, and their relationship with Paul and what takes place right here in these few verses. We'll take some time and look at that uh, later on. But for now, let me just leave you with one final question. At the end of this chapter, who was really left imprisoned? It was Felix and Drusilla. It's not Paul. Paul's the apostle the heart set free. You can put him in chains. It makes no difference. You can throw him in prison. He'll just write letters that impact the world for 2,000 years. It's not a problem for Paul. He is a free man. It is for freedom that Christ Jesus set us free, he said. So don't be bound again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5.1 Where the Spirit is, there is liberty, Paul says. Freedom! He could sing that song. Freedom! But Felix and Drusilla, they make no commitment. They make no decision. Felix says, when I find time, I will summon you. There's no acceptance of the gospel. And they will both end their lives tragically. 
They were the real prisoners. Paul said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And Lord Jesus, You have set us free. And we have that great liberty. We are not bound to the things of this world. We are not bound to fear. We are not bound to laws that, that, would, that would hamper our joy. We are not, Father, bound to the fear of an eternity uncertain. We are free in Christ to rejoice in the Lord always. And Father, I, I thank You for that. We are not bound in loneliness. We have Your presence with us. Though we might be all by ourselves in the midst of nowhere, You are here. You are so good to us. And Father, perhaps tonight there is someone who needs to hear Your voice. Lord Jesus, who simply needs to hear You say, Be of good cheer. We hear that. We receive this from You. And we take courage in Jesus' name.